We are in 2 Samuel chapter 22 as we are bringing this book to a close. And I, again, I just trust that we're all seeking to read ahead, you know, so we it's not first time we get to this. And so David spoke to the Lord the words of this song. On the day when the Lord had delivered him from the hand of all of his enemies and from the hand of Saul. So when exactly did David write and or say this song or sing this song? Do we really care? I don't. Some commentators say David wrote this in the beginning of his ministry and it's out of place. Others say as his time draws near to a close, this becomes kind of a memorial song. And still others say he wrote it early in his walk with the Lord and sang it often. I know we do. I mean, I love the old Calvary Chapel songs that we've sung over the years that come out of these places. And still others say it was written in the beginning and then recalled in his latter years of his life just before he's recalled home. Many believe this was written at the end of David's life. And so now David is looking back, reflecting on, remembering thinking of every fight that David had been in and every place where the Lord had came and redeemed him and brought him out of the, the battle. So who's right? I think all of them? I don't know. None of them? Parts and pieces of all? I don't know. I know this. It's always good to look back and reflect on the Lord's goodness to propel us forward towards the bigger step of life. And ultimately, our biggest step of life is It's death. That'll be the biggest step of your life. Barring the rapture, your biggest step of your life is going to be seconds before you die or moments before you die. And so, you know, the, the whole beauty of having a walk that's on fire to you Sunday morning, when you have hit that point in your life, man, this is the final chapter where I can see if someone's kind of lukewarm there or medium high or wherever they are in that scale. I don't know. I think we want to hit it like how David hits it. He realizes his clock is coming to an end. The sand is running out of the hourglass. And we all better be recalling God's goodness when we're, and certainly not my goodness, but God's goodness, when we're about ready to kick the bucket. This chapter, we find a version close to this song here in Psalm 18. All 50 verses worth are in Psalm 18 want some extra credit tonight and he said this is what he said and he said the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer I'm going to name in there amen. I mean so many times the Lord delivered David out of a snare or a trap set by others as he uses so many words and analogies to express the greatness of his God the God of my strength in whom I will trust look at Goliath when others were running scared because David trusted his Lord, he watched the Lord deliver Goliath to him. My shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my savior. So why does David use so many different names here in speaking about his God here? You know, so often we can use one. If you go to Acts chapter 4, they, they've been arrested. They've been told if they speak in Jesus' name anymore, bad things will happen to them. So they go home and they pray to a really big God. That's what David's doing here. 
he's collecting all these names together and his God is getting bigger and bigger and bigger and thus your problems become smaller and smaller and smaller. You focus on the small on the problems they grow, God diminishes. That's why God's never called us to do that. You saved me from the violence, David says. Could the Laodiceans have said that? It's a yes or no answer. No. Come on. Hey, we're rich, well off, but in the end of nothing. We don't need you to save us from anything here. They would have never said that. Yet David says, you saved me from violence. No doubt the Lord did. First it was Saul, then the Philistines, then Nabal, then the people of Ammon, and then Absalom. I'll call upon the Lord, who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my... Those should sound familiar. I will call upon the Lord. I mean, think back on those times when his enemies surrounded David. See, this is why David knew it was all God. Because he had watched this time and time again. When the waves of death surrounded me, I mean, I'm going down. This is it. The floods of ungodliness made me afraid. The sorrows of Sheol surrounded me. This is, I mean, that's, I'm done. The snares of death confronted me. These are all new phrases and Hebrew words in the Bible that David writes or sings here. Ungodliness confronted in Sheol. First time they show up in the Bible right here. The Hebrew Sheol shows up in our English, hell or Greek, Hades, same place or back then where the resting place of the dead would go but they weren't really resting if they were died in faith they were living if they didn't they were burning the hebrew dictionary describes sheol as the underworld the place of no return when the sorrows of sheol surrounded me verse 7 in my distress i called upon the lord and cried out to my god that's what makes him the man after god's own heart we've got to learn this team He heard my voice from his temple and my cry entered his ear. That takes faith. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy of my praise. In times of fear because of physical harm or worry or fear or anxiety or your sin or depression, the man after God's own heart looks up and he called out to the Lord, God help me. Look at these results here. As he called out, he heard my voice from his temple and my cry entered his ears. David was confident in that. Do you believe that when you call out to your God every time? Every time. Do you believe that? That your Lord will do the same for you? That God will hear? If you don't believe that, then you have two options. A, get a new God. That would be little g. Or B, quit doubting. Quit acting like a Laodicean. I'm just going to manage this by myself. No, God wants us as little children to come to him. At those times in David's life when he was weak or just flat out blew it, he always made it back to that place where he knew that his very existence was going to be left up to his God. And what a great picture as to what God will do to those who mess with his kids. If you call out and don't take matters in your own hands, God will rescue you. Verse 8 details it all out. So let's detail it out. Then the earth shook and trembled. That, 
that it's a response to David calling out because he was getting surrounded. He's getting to get sucked into the sinkhole. The foundations of heaven quaked and were shaken because he, and it should be capitalized, the God that David cried out to was angry. And he's angry because those enemies of God are surrounding one of his kids. Now, I don't think that David saw this. I don't think David saw that God was angry. But I think this is what he's imagining what his Lord God, creator of the universe, is like. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Coals were kindled by it. I don't think he saw it. But this is what he's envisioning would happen when someone's messing with God's kids. He bowed the heavens also and came down with darkness under his feet. He rode upon a cherub and flew because of the speed of the answer to his cry. And he was seen upon the wings of the wind. He made darkness canopies around him, dark waters and thick clouds of the sky. Nobody's seen God and lived. So David's trying to kind of give us some depth or some illustration so we can kind of grasp that. From the brightness before him, coals of fire were kindled. The Lord thundered from heaven and the Most High uttered his voice. He sent out arrows and shattered them, lightning bolts, and he vanquished them. Who's the them? Then the channels of the sea were seen. The foundations of the world were uncovered at the rebuke of the Lord, at the blast of the breast, at the blast of the breath of his nostrils. Well, who wouldn't by faith call out to the Lord God like that and believe? Now you see why we say, or I say, I hope you say, my dad is bigger than your dad. When he heard my voice, when my cry reached his ears, the earth shook and trembled. The foundations of the earth were quaked and were shaken. Smoke went up from his nostrils, devouring fire from his mouth. All of this speaks of, of God's great love for David and David's great love for God. He bowed the heavens, or bowed the heavens. He came down with darkness under his feet. He rode upon a cherub and flew. So let me ask you this as we think about this. Do you view the Jesus that you have a relationship the same way? That he would that he acts this way when you call out to him? Or it's like, nah, I don't know. No, that's what the Laodiceans would say. If I'm on fire, this is how I view my God. I'm sinking, I'm going down. That he'd ride upon a cherub to get to you faster so he could rescue us. Rescue. I, I hope that's how we view him. He made darkness canopies around him. Then the Lord thundered from heaven and the Most High uttered his voice. Greater than E.F. Hutton for you who are old, older. He sent out arrows and, and, and scattered them, lightning bolts, and he vanquished them. The foundations of the world were uncovered at the rebuke of the Lord at the blast of the breath of his nostrils. That's my dad. I hope you can say that. And we are his kids. But it's a personal relationship. You have to own these things. I can't own them for anybody but me. He sent, verse 17, he sent from above. He took me. He drew me out of many waters, like you're drowning in the ocean and the only boat on the sea is the Jesus boat. And you responded to his voice and you turned to him and he drew you out of many waters. He delivered me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me. 
for they were too strong for me. And it's easy to see why David saw life this way. He was a warrior. The reason he couldn't build the palace is he had too much blood on his hands. And yet he was the man that was going out conquering the enemies that were that the earlier Jews had failed to take out. I'm sure many times he found himself in the midst of his battle in a hole. God delivered. They confronted me in the day of my calamity. David was in danger, it seems, wherever he went. Really, if you think about it. But you know, so is Jesus. So is Paul. So is everyone in the book of Acts who is seeking to turn their world upside down. People are after you. Gunning after you. Critiquing your words. Wanting to take you out. And no doubt that danger played on all of his emotions and senses. And maybe he felt like he was going under for the last time. He, you know, people, they say when people drown on the third time, that's when they're going down. Bob once, Bob twice, come back up. And on that third time, they ain't coming back up. Maybe David's on his third bomb and he's going, he's like, man, I, I'm never going to make it. But the Lord was my support. I would underline that in my Bible. But the Lord was my support. Well, yeah, he does it for David, but he won't do it for me. Oh, that's lack of faith on your part. Has nothing to do with how righteous or self-righteous you think you are. That's what the Laodiceans thought. They were self-righteous, so none of that's going to work. But the Lord is my support. The world today likes to laugh and make fun of the Christian because we have to use Jesus as a crutch or as a support. But is there any better? He'll help me in anything and everything. See, the problem is the world, they just don't understand that Jesus is the whole hospital, including the emergency room when there's an emergency or the psycho hospital when I feel like I'm going out of my mind. The world uses at least, according to commercials, Prozac for their support of their anxiety. David, he is the Lord. The world uses the bottle for support in dealing with depression and stress. David used the Lord for support. The world uses man's wisdom in figuring out solutions to life's problems. David used the Lord. The lukewarm church uses lukewarm man-made programs of man. But those who are on fire, they use the Lord. You got to figure out what camp. You can't dance in both camps. That makes you... Lukewarm. Even when David had blew it, and we've watched him blow it many times, he always came back to the Lord on the same terms that the two blind dudes in the Gospels use when they're calling out to Jesus. This is what they said. Jesus was passing by them, and they cried out, saying, Have mercy on us. Don't give us what we deserve, O Lord, Son of David. That's what they weren't coming saying, Oh, great God Almighty, give me. No, that's what the Laodiceans would have said. It's don't give me what I deserve. But then they still ask. And David did the same, as so do I and so must you. None of us wants to approach our Jesus on our good works or our service. That would be like, oh, Lord, I am rich, well off, and I need nothing. You really bless me, and so, Lord, I need. I don't think we want to be there. I think we want to use David's approach, but the Lord is my support. In order to say that, you have to be what? 
Starts with the W, ends with the K, it has two vowels in the middle. Weak. You have to be weak. See, the Laodiceans weren't weak. They were strong, self-sufficient. Got to be weak. He also brought me out into a broad place. 2 Samuel 22, 20. He delivered me because, check this out, he delighted in me. I would underline that too. I hope you know the Lord delights in you. I hope you can say like the Apostle John, I'm the beloved disciple. If you can't, you got issues. He delivered me because he delighted in me. That screams of relationship. Something the Laodiceans was lacking. But obviously they knew him because Jesus is writing to the church. That's what it says. To the church of the Laodiceans. It wasn't just some random unsaved people. David knew God's love for him. So must we. And I hope we all know God's love for ourselves. I think too many in the church look at their failures that they've asked forgiveness for and then they just let the enemy beat them down and they just stay in a beaten down state. No, you can't crawl into a hole. You run to the cross, receive grace and mercy in humility and then get up and walk. See, if you, if you can't get up and walk from that, that's pride. That somehow you have to do something else. Really? He died so he could deliver you from sin Every, he, he will forgive you every time you confess it. Why do you think you have to? Do, that's what the layer to see. That would be like a layer to see approach. Oh, we've asked, we've done something, but and we've asked for forgiveness, but now we got to add to God's thing. No, you don't. In faith, receive it. Read Hebrews chapter 4, 14 to 16. It's right there. True love that you offer and true love that you receive from Jesus is on record that that type of love remembers no wrongs and covers over a multitude of sins. Man, the love of Christ, he, when you come and you confess, man, it's, it's put away. It's covered over. It's cast as far as the east is from the west. Once you confess your sin to Jesus and he forgives you and it goes east to west, what else is there to do? Because he doesn't even know what you're talking about anymore. Because it's been cast. God is pleased when you and I, as a child of God, put our trust in him. Faith is what pleases our God team. I know we know it, Hebrews 11:6. but without faith, it's impossible to please him. And so how does that work out? Well, in my failure, I have to believe that when I come and ask for forgiveness, he does, and I just move on. Can't camp there. Yeah. Look at, we saw it. You know, David, confronted by Nathan, boom, the baby's going to die. Boom, he hits the floor and... As soon as the baby's dead, he gets up and washes himself. He goes in and worships and he eats. He moves on. Verse 22. The Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness. Boy, that could be scary, unless there's something we're not understanding there. The Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he has recompensed me. Yeah, David blew it big time with adultery and murder. But when he confessed his sin... To God's man, Nathan. Remember what Nathan said to him? He created the story, and Nathan said, You are that man, David. And David said, No excuses. I have sinned against the Lord. Straight out. 
No, no, well, you know, it's my husband, it's my wife. Remember what Nathan said to him? The Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. And if the Lord's put it away, what's there left to do? Penance? No, wrong religion. Head to the Catholic Church, and then you can pay, and you can go back and do it again, and you can drop a couple more bucks. The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. And David believed those words. So he writes of his clean hands here because he believed God at his word that he had put David's sin away. He writes that the Lord rewarded him according to his righteousness. Why? Not because he is righteous, but because of his relationship with God when he came and made it right with God. You don't, you don't get a time out now. and Now you got to, oh, sorry, you're on hold until you uh, do us some Hail Marys and then you can get your righteousness back. That's ridiculous. He believed God at his word that he'd put David's sin away for I've kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. And that's true. David's not ignoring his failures, but simply choosing not to walk in the memory of them or to walk in the past. There's victory in looking up. There's victory in looking ahead because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. And there is misery if you're looking in or looking back. doesn't matter who it is. Now, looking back to see how God worked and shredded, yeah, cool. But looking back because of my failure, because somehow woe is me and I got to do something now or God's not happy with me now because who knows. There's misery in that. There's failure in that. I fail. I confess. I move on. I had a friend of mine called me today. That's a pastor. He was asking me about my own personal grief when Josh died. And um, he was telling me about what was going on in his life. And I said, well, the thing is, is none of us crawled into a hole. Yeah. Lost it at the bank. Different places. We all did. But we didn't crawl into a hole. We kept moving forward. And that's the big difference. You're, you're either going to keep moving forward or you're going to fall into the hole. The problem is when you get in the hole, what do you do? You try and dig yourself out. And then what happens? Or it collapses on you. Verse 23, for all his judgments were before me. And as for his statutes, I did not depart from them. I was also blameless before him, and I kept myself from my iniquity. We find these same words in Psalm 18, verse 23. I was also blameless before him, and I kept myself from my iniquity. Now, some people take issue with that statement of David's here. What he's saying here is blameless. But I think it fits in the New Testament where we are to put off and put on or work out our own salvation with fear and trembling or let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that's set before us, all the while being confident in our righteousness is brought to us by the Lamb. We don't earn it. We can't achieve it and we can't make it better. But we receive it from Christ. Humble sinners is what God gets God's attention, not prideful ones, like we saw in Laodicea, but humble ones. See, the ones that are hot, they're humble sinners. The ones that are, are not, well, they're prideful sinners, and the ones that are cold, well, they're just sinners <coughs> waiting to be found. 
Verse 25, therefore the Lord has recompensed me according to my righteousness, according to my cleanness in his eyes. With the merciful, you shall show yourself merciful. With a blameless man, you, you, show, you, shall, you will show yourself blameless. So the key to these verses is right here. With the merciful, you'll show yourself merciful. Jesus said, blessed are the mercy, for they shall obtain mercy. It's a, it's a spiritual law of reaping and sowing. How much mercy do you want? From God. I don't know. It's, I think it's dependent upon how much mercy you show others. God showed David great mercy. Why? I believe because David showed that same amount of great mercy to others. The only time David came close to withholding mercy and serving up justice is with Nabal the scoundrel. Remember? He, he, you know, she's uh, he, he said, well, hey, there's a lot of servants turning away from their masters. And, they, and he blows off David's men. So David says, strap up. We're going to go take that guy out and kill every male. And Abigail meets him as they're journeying there. And, and Nabal's wife prevented David from dishing up justice. Saul and Shimei are great examples of David showing mercy. With the merciful, you'll show yourself merciful. Better to err on the side of mercy than justice. Well, you know, I don't know about that. She may be lying or making it. Hey, look, it's better to err on the side of mercy and get burned, and God will sort it all out. Always better. With a blameless man, you'll show yourself blameless. With the pure, you'll show yourself pure. And with the devious, you will show yourself shrewd, reaping and sowing. You'll save the humble people. Those are those, that's those who are on fire. But your eyes are on the haughty. Ooh, vomit material. That you may bring them down. I'm sure it's coincidental we just happen to be here. Pride goes before destruction. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. James 4, 6. Was David ever prideful in his life? Before you answer, name the location. Yeah. That's right. I don't think it's there. He blew it lots of times. But is there recorded in the scriptures where he built himself a monument like Saul, his predecessor, did? Nope. Or is there a place where he ever made life all about him? Nope. He blew it. But he blew it because of sin, but not because he was prideful. Verse 29. Eleven, you are yours. Listen for him. Okay, and this is you saying this, so you're speaking to you or your, which is God. So you got to step into this here. For you are my lamp, O Lord. And you have to, we all have to own every one of these. The Lord shall enlighten my darkness in dark places. Man, ask the Lord. For by you I can run against a troop. Now, would the church of Laodicea say that? No. We don't need, no, we don't, we don't need you. We're good. By my God, I can leap over a wall. Would the church of Laodicea say that? No. And you can also leap tall buildings. <laughs> would, as for God, his way is perfect. Do we know this? Or do we own this? Big difference. Do we own it or do we just know it? 
See, I can know all these precepts, but I don't. if I don't own them within my heart, it's knowledge without relationship. As for God, his way is perfect. We've got to own that. Yeah, we've got to know it, but we also got to own it. The way of the Lord is proven. Do we believe that? He is a shield to all who trust in him. Have we allowed him to prove that to us? I hope so, time and time again. For who is God except the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? God is my strength and power, and he makes my way perfect. Would the church in Laodicea say that? No. We're good. But see, we have to look at our own lives and go, how, how independent are we in our daily life? How independent are we from God in our daily life? I don't know. Only you can answer that in your thought life and making your decisions. He makes my feet like the feet of deer. Now, you're going to have to be a hunter or been out in the wilderness and seen deers. You know, first of all, they, little, they, they prance all over the place. But when they prance, man, they can shoot six, seven feet straight up and go over a fence. <laughs> but all, their footing is stable. He makes my feet like the feet of deer. They're stable. They're movable, able to get out of the tr out of trouble. He sets me on high places, safe up there. He teaches my hands to make war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. Would the church of Laodicea say that? No. You have also given me the shield of your salvation. Your gentleness has made me great. I hope we've experienced that because the church in Laodicea would never say that. They'd say they've made themselves great. You enlarged my path under me so my feet did not slip. That's why we surrender to his lead for our lives each and every day, team. I have pursued my enemies and destroyed them. Neither did I turn back again till they were destroyed. And I have destroyed them and wounded them so they could not rise. They have fallen under my feet. And David's not boasting here in context. It, it was all God, all God, all God. And then David makes these proclamations or affirmations of what's happened. And how did David accomplish all this? says right here, for you have armed me with strength for the battle. You have subdued under me those who rose against me. You have also given me the necks of my enemies so that I destroyed those who hated me. The Lord does that in our lives. We don't have to show vengeance or take vengeance or show justice. We got to show mercy. They looked, but there was none to save them. Even to the Lord they looked, but he did not answer them. And because the Lord didn't answer them, didn't answer the enemies, look what David did to him. Then I beat them as fine as the dust of the earth. <laughs> I trod them like dirt in the streets and I spread them out. It's not a prideful statement, but it's, it's an, actually it's a prideful statement of his God. It's a statement of how the Lord enabled David to whip up on his enemies. You have also delivered me from the strivings of my people. So not only we saw it, battles outside, but then he also had battles 
inside, kind of like the church. You've kept me as the head of all na of the nations. David knew that God raised all authority up. Would the church in Laodicea know that, that God raises people up? Mm. A people I have not known shall serve me, obviously spoils of war. The foreigners submit to me as soon as they hear, they obey me. The foreigners fade away and come frightened from their hideouts because of David? No, because of David's God. Now you see why David was a man after God's own heart, because he was perfect. No, he knew he wasn't perfect, and I think that's the beauty of it. He knew that everything in his life that was good or had value was because of his relationship with God. He had a right understanding, a clear view as to who his God was in his life. It's critical. And that it was an ongoing daily hourly relationship. Do you have that? Or is it just more of a mechanical relationship? That would be like what the Laodiceans had, I would think. In these next three verses, if Jesus Christ is not these things in your life as I read them, hey, just ask him to be these things. The Lord lists, Blessed be my rock, let God be exalted, the rock of my salvation. It is God who avenges me and subdues the people peoples under me. He delivers me from my enemies. You also lift me up above those who rise against me. You have delivered me from the violent man. Is Jesus Christ all of these things in your life? I hope so. If not, just read through it tonight and ask him to be the Lord that lives in my heart. To be the God of to be the God, the rock of my salvation that I hold on to. To be the God who avenges me. To be the God who subdues things under me. Be the God who delivers me from my enemies. Just, Lord, I need you to be the God who delivers me from my enemies. God, I need you to be the God who rises me up above those who rise up against me so I don't have to deal with it. God, I need you to be the God who delivers me from the violent man. And because of your relationship, and because you ask and call out, that's our part. Our heart will then be like David's, a heart overflowing of the goodness and the kindness of God. But you got to ask. Got to look up. Got to take not the Laodicea away. Nothing good there. Therefore, I'll give thanks to you, O Lord. Got to take the humble way. Therefore, I'll give thanks to you, O Lord, among the Gentiles and sing praises to your name. He is the tower of salvation to his king and shows mercy to his anointed, to David and his descendants forevermore. And you and me, if you're in Christ because you have that relationship with Jesus Christ, not a mechanical one, but a living one, you're his anointed tonight. Your failures don't define you. They might if you crawl into a hole and cease to go forward, though. But no one can crawl into a hole, team. You have to keep moving forward. Remember when David was anointed king, he had the flask of oil poured over him? And we know the oil in the Old Testament is always symbolic of the Holy Ghost being poured out in the New Testament. 
Well, if you're in Christ tonight, then the Holy Spirit of God is dwelling in you, causing you to be God's anointed. And he is waiting for you to be filled with the Holy Ghost if you will humble yourself and simply ask. Would the Laodiceans ask? No. And yet Jesus is on record saying, if you then being evil, and see that causes humility because every single one of us in this room is evil. If you then being evil now to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Luke 11, 13. But you got to ask. God's anointing is not the guy you see on TV doing the weird things, but the one who has a heart like David's here, looking to the Lord for everything. Believe in the Lord for everything and seeking to keep my wicked heart in a place where I'm daily running to the cross. Because we have that high priest that can sympathize with my weaknesses because he was tempted in everything, but he didn't sin. Therefore, I can come with boldness and confidence. That he's going to sympathize with me. And I'm going to receive grace and mercy and forgiveness, or grace and mercy if I don't need forgiveness. Verse 1 of chapter 23, the words of a man who believed God at what he said. Look what these are. Now, these are the last words of David. Not the final final, but maybe last thoughts as he surveys his life backwards and looks forward at the same time. Because his last words will be to Solomon as he puts everything in order. Thus says David, the son of Jesse. Huh. Who was the son of Jesse? He was one of the least of the tribe. Thus says the man who raised up on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob and the sweet, sweet psalmist of Israel, the spirit of the Lord spoke by me and his word was on my, on my tongue. The Lord did all of this in David's life and he knew it. But we aren't perfect? No, he knew that. But he looked up to who was to guide him through life. He knew that he was nothing. He remembered where he came from. Remembered he came from the sheepfold. He never lost sight of that like Saul did. The Spirit of the Lord spoke by me. And his word was on my tongue. See, the Laodicean church forgot where they came from, obviously. The only way you could say you're rich, well off, and in need of nothing is because you forgot at one time you were a wretched sinner. You lose sight of that, you're in big trouble because you know what? You're still a wretched sinner when you croak. Unless you got the formula for reforming your flesh. Please, you should write it in a book. You'd become a billionaire. How to reform your flesh. But it'd be heresy because Jesus had to die because there was no way it could be reformed had to be crucified the spirit of the lord spoke by me and his word was on my tongue david knew as the holy ghost who spoke to him to pen the psalms it wasn't him but it was god's spirit that spoke through him and he knew that and in knowing that god used him and made him great jesus and peter both spoke that the holy spirit inspired david Many prophecies are found in the Psalms, Psalm 22, the crucifixion, Psalm 118, the triumphant entry. And David wrote of that because God's spirit came upon him and he knew that. The God of Israel said, the rock of Israel spoke to me. He who rules over man must be just, not crooked, ruling in the fear 
of God. How do, I think we should have politicians read this and make them all sign it. Hey, you're going to rule over men? You must be just ruling in the fear of God. Wow, that would be crazy. Good luck on getting people to sign that. Verse 4, And when men lead this way, and ye shall be like the light of the morning when the sun rises, a morning without clouds like the tender grass singing, springing out of the earth by clear shining after rain. Although my house is not so with God, in other words, it has issues, Yet he has made me an everlasting covenant, speaking of the Messiah, ordered in all things and secure, not based upon his life and his ways, otherwise the Messiah would have never come, but based upon the Lord's. For this is all my salvation and my desire. Will he not make it increase? But the sons of rebellion shall all be as thorns thrust away because they cannot be taken with hands. David knew where to look to for a strength. But the man who touches them must be armed with iron and the shaft of the spear, and they shall be utterly burned with fire in their place. David knew he could trust his Lord with his enemies. He knew that over and over and over again. Next, a listing of David's mighty men. Remember those 600, they were actually it's 400, then it grew to 600. Those, they were distressed, discontented, in debt. Out of those 600 rose these 37 mighty men. Verse 8, mighty man number one, my favorite. These are the names of the mighty men who David had. Without this group of misfits that David ministered to, he was just one lone soldier with the Lord, which is enough, but none of us are called to go it alone. All of us are under mandate to make disciples. So we could actually call this section here David's disciples. He lived with them. He shared his life with them. They did battles together. They worshiped together. I'm sure every once in a while they made it into the synagogue when they weren't on the run. But what we see here with David is the same thing God's calling all of us to be about doing in the New Testament. So Joshab... Bashabeth, the Tachmonite, chief of, among the captains. He's the chief of all chiefs. He was called Adino. If I was going to have a kid, I, that's a boy, I would name him that, Adino. I don't know if I've ever heard an Adino, but this Adino is bad to the bone because he had killed 800 men at one time. He's the top of all. Now, First Chronicles 11 says 300, but here it says 800. Most people say it's really 300. I don't need to change it. You know, it's probably a discrepancy from a, a copy in error. Remember? Huh? Uh, yeah, I doubt it. Remember in the Hebrew language, there was not a numbering system, but only letters. You miss a little dot here or rubs off or something. Plus, most of the discrepancies in the copies are made with numbers. But he's the man. Mighty, he's mighty man number one. Mighty man number two. And after him was Eliezer, the son of Dodo, the AOI, one of the three mighty men with David when they defied the Philistine who were gathered there for battle and the men of Israel had retreated. This man rose up and attacked the Philistines until his hand was weary. I love this. And his hand stuck to the sword, totally cramped out. You know, you get a cramp, you're running, you stop. 
This dude didn't stop. He worked through the pain and just kept on swinging. The Lord brought about a great victory that day, and the people returned after him only to plunder those who he had killed. Cramped hands on this boy equals dead Philistines. Mighty man number three, verse 11. And after him was Shammah, the son of Agi, the Herite. The Philistines had gathered together into a troop where there was a piece of ground full of lentils. And all the people fled from the Philistines. But he stationed himself in the middle of the field. That tells me they are attacking him from all 360 degrees. He defended it and he killed the Philistines. And the Lord brought about a great victory. Man, can you imagine, you know, the, we have these videos, you know, these movies. This would have been nothing. Man, this guy was on, on fire. We don't know how many he killed. I wish it would have said that. And the Lord brought about a great victory. You know, this whole scene is kind of like when the cookies come out of the oven. Everybody wants to be there. All, the, and, all right, get them. But when the dishes are needed to be done, all of a sudden everybody scatters. <laughs> Just like these guys. But when the cookies come out, all of a sudden there's memory gain. Oh yeah, let's go there. Many times the enemies of Israel would show up at harvest time. This time everybody took off running, but not Shammah. He positioned himself in the middle of lentils. Then three of the 30 chief men went down at harvest time and came to David at the cave of Adullam. And can you imagine in one of these renegades? Because David was a renegade as well. I mean, they, they've heard of this guy that's out there running from Saul. He's a rebel. And so that's why all these distressed, discontented, and other people gathered to him, because they're rebels and renegades as well. And can you imagine coming in as a renegade to this, you know, you've heard about this guy named David, and then you see him, you go, he's the guy? You know, I'd imagine Adina and those guys were pretty ripped. And I'm, I'd imagine David was too. But I picture that he's his mighty man way bigger. And so here they come. And now they're watching this guy. That Saul's hunting. And then all of a sudden you start to think, well, this why is he hunting him? This guy's a great guy. None of what they say about him is true. He, he, he cares for Saul, and he cares for the people. I mean, could you imagine just their whole mindset coming in and then watching David's actions and how he lived his life and the impact he had upon their lives just by how he lived? And the troop of the Philistines encamped in the valley of Rephim. David was then in the stronghold, and the garrison of the Philistines was then in the Bethlehem. And David said with a longing, oh, that someone would... He, he doesn't want it to happen. He's just... And I don't think he said it loud. With longing, oh, that someone would give me a drink of the water from the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. So the three mighty men looked at one another and said, hey, let's do this. And so they broke through the camp of the Philistines, left carnage as they went, drew water from the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate, and came back through the Philistines, no doubt left more carnage, and took it and brought it to David. And why? Because they learned to love this man and respect him. That's why they did it. It wasn't because he is thirsty. You know, it's because they loved and respected the guy. They'd been watching him. 
Nevertheless, he would not drink it, but poured it out to the Lord. And he said, far be it from me, O Lord, that I should do this. I should partake of this great sacrifice. Is this not the blood of the men who went in jeopardy of their lives? Therefore, he would not drink it. These things were done by the three mighty men. Thanks for the water, boys, but you guys put your own lives in jeopardy for me. That is way too great of a sacrifice for me, but it's not too much of a sacrifice for the Lord, and he poured it out. I mean, what a lesson he taught the guys. Hey, those great sacrifices, never for a man, always for God. And that's what he taught him. Verse 18. Now Abishai, the brother of Joab, the son of Zariah, was chief of another three. He lifted his spear against 300 men, killed them, and won a name amongst those three. Was he not the most honored of the three? Therefore, he, he became their captain. However, he did not attain to the first three, the first three that we looked at. Benaniah was the son of Jehoiada, the son of a valiant man from Kabzul, he, who had done many deeds. He had killed two lion-like heroes of Moab. He had also gone down and killed a lion in the midst of a pit on a snowy day. Like, for fun? I mean, was it somebody's home? Were they hungry and they needed food? Couldn't they have thrown spears down there and killed it first? And then dragged it up? No, I envision it more of a challenge. Hey, you want to be a mighty man? There's a lion down in the pit. Go down there. No, nope, can't throw spears. Go down there and kill it. <laughs> you ever been in the snow? It's slippery. I doubt if they had snow boots on. I doubt if they had thread, thread, tread, thread, tread on the bottom of the shoes. I mean, you think how easy they can kill their enemies with spears, but not here. And he killed an Egyptian, a spectacular man. Yeah, probably a tall man and a big man. The Egyptian had a spear in his hand, so he went down to him with a staff, wrestled the... Again, anybody can kill the big, tall dude. He went down to him with a staff, a piece of wood, wrestled the spear out of the Egyptian's hands, probably smacked him in the head a couple of times with the... With, the, with his staff, and then grabbed the spear or the, the, the spear out of the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. Like he lost his sword or something? No, it just shows you how crazy these guys were. But you know what? It's because they were in love with David and in love with David's God. These things Benaniah, the son of Jehoiada, did and won a name among the three mighty men. He was more honored than the 30, but he did not attain to the first three. And David appointed him over his guard, his bodyguard. There are only two men that are listed in this group of three, and most believe that Joab was probably the third mighty man in this grouping. Verse 24, as I hack out these names, and we see the fruit of Genesis 11, where God confused the people with different languages. Remember, they were all speaking the same language. God says, oh, we got to do something here. And he confused them all with different languages. And then all the people dispersed. All across the place and different nations were born from the different languages. Because you look through this list, it's all these different countries. Ashiel, the brother of Joab, was one of the 30. Elam, Ehalam, the son of Dodo of Bethlehem, a local boy. Shama, the Haradite, Elika, the Herodite, Heles, the Palatite, Ira, the son of Ekesh, the Tikoite. Abiezer, the Anothite, Memunahunga, the Hushitite. We'll call him Salmon. The Athoite, Mahari, he had a Ferrari, the Nephilite, 
Helib, the son of Baana, the Nephilite. Ittai, the son of Ribai from Gibeah, the children of Benjamin. I'm pretty sure Benjamin's right in that list, and probably children. The rest is probably all wrong. But here's he's another local boy of the children of Benjamin. Benaniah, uh, Piranha, and I'm sure he was from the brooks of Gash. He's even from the water. Abia, Albon, the Abrathite, Asmaveth, the Barhumaite, Elihuba, Haba, the Shalabonite, of the sons of Jashem, Jonathan, Shema, the Herite, Ahim, 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 Eliam, Bathsheba's dad. The son of Ahithophel, the Gilanite, David's friend that betrayed him, but also the grandpa to Bathsheba. Herzai, the Carmelite, Perai, the Arai, Eagle, the son of Nathan, Zoba, Bani, Bani, the Gadite, another local boy. Zelak, the Ammonite. You know, I didn't go through here, but I should have counted up all the different countries or people groups. Because they're, they're, they're all over the place. So, so these people came from all over. They heard there's a renegade in Israel. Hey, let's go, you know. I mean, if you're a renegade and you're living on your own, it's not. you're always on, the, on, on guard, you're always on the run. But all of a sudden, hey, they're, they're gathering together. And obviously they came from a lot of different places. Nahari, the Berethite, an armor bearer of Joab, the son of Zariah, Ira, the Ithrite, Gareb, the Ithrite, and Uriah, the Hittite, 37 in all. We should all remember him. Uriah, one of David's mighty men that was murdered, is number 37. Okay, so here's the challenge for all of us as we look at chapter 2, as we look at our own walk with Jesus. and Man, just receive those things. You know, because otherwise you're going to become like a later scene. I'm good. No, I'm good here too. No, I'm good here. No, I'm good here. Don't want to be there. And then in chapter 23, taking an inventory of our lives and seeing who are we influencing with our lives like David did. Jesus called it making disciples. This becomes a picture of that. It's critical. We all should have them. Father, we're thankful for all that you want to do in our lives. Lord, show us who to make impact upon. Lord, help us to claim your promises. 